This is Amateur Logic, episode 177, for January 15th, 2023. This episode of Amateur Logic is brought to you by MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories, and by ICOM. Didn't get everything on your wish list? Spice up your ham shack with one of ICOM's popular handhelds, mobiles, or base stations. Welcome to another episode of Amateur Logic. I'm George. I'm Tommy. I'm Emil. And I'm Mike. And, you know, we rarely miss the opportunity to do a show on a Friday the 13th. Those are special. Those are special. As a matter of fact, I think for the last few years, every time there's been a Friday the 13th, we've done a show. (laughs) That worked. Yeah. It, yeah, I think it's kind of funny how it falls like that, isn't it? It is destiny. I'm laughing at Emil because I think he's trying to overanalyze that statement. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it just occurred to me right on the spur of the moment there. So it might not be factually correct, but uh, uh, it's probably pretty close. Yeah. Well, let's go around the horn here real quick and see what everybody's been up to. Tommy, I haven't really been up to anything. I'm the slacker of the month. So, you just, uh, so yeah. just wake me up when it's time for me to head home. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, email, what's been going on down there? You know, uh, in, in the great country of New Orleans down this way, uh, <laughs> it's trying to decide whether it's winter or summer as far as the weather is concerned. And we're getting ready for winter field day, which you'll see a little bit about. But uh, Tonight's 34, 30-ish, and I think tomorrow is a little bit worse, and then it's supposed to be 70s to the 80s again. So we're all going to be sick, no doubt in my mind. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's just trying to decide. That's what's going on down here. The swamps are uh, fighting with the atmosphere. Well, it's the same thing here. We're just a little bit north of you. Not not a lot, though. So our weather is generally pretty close to what you're having down there so yeah it, it's going to be cold tonight but it's going to warm back up we'll be in the 70s again by the first part of the week so uh, and that's okay with me uh, i'm okay with that uh, i'd rather it just you know be in the 70s year round but uh, a lot of people would take issue with that i think Tommy well, that's would. what florida's for well it's let you me, tried that I tried that, and let me tell you, it got below 70 in South Florida when I lived down there. Not very often, not very long, though. Nah, not very long. Mike, what's been going on up there? Well, not too much uh, going on up here. Um, Up until recently, I guess you might say that we've been uh, seasonably warm for this time of year. Um. And that, I think, I'm going to equate 
for the fact that we've had very little sun. Like December was was pretty much dull, and uh, so far January's been dull. I basically could count on on one hand the number of days we've had sunshine, and those weren't even entire days. So it's been pretty uh, pretty overcast for the last uh, probably month and a half. Hmm. Well, we've had a pretty mild winter here so far. It's, we've had a lot of cloudy days too, though. Well, we have. It's been really overcast a lot, a lot yeah. more than usual. Well, I've been. Well, I, I took off like the second half of December because I had a lot of vacation saved up. Uh, so I'm playing catch-up this month. And uh, a lot of catching up this week in particular. I had one generator that blew the water hose off. The uh, the top radiator hose blew off the engine, and it spilled water out everywhere, I guess, by the, the date I checked it. It wasn't wet around there, so apparently it had happened wow. sometime earlier and uh, didn't really know about it. Hadn't had a power failure, so uh, I didn't know uh, until I went to that site just to check things out. So corrected that. Now I've got a couple of gallons of antifreeze sitting here. i got to take back out there next week and then get that back to normal. It's running, but uh, you know I don't have any antifreeze in it right now, so knock on wood, that's... Uh, not going to be too cold before I can get back out there. And on one of the other stations, uh, yesterday it went off the air, and I called in the remote control to try to check the transmitter, turn it back on, it wouldn't answer, which meant there was a power failure there and the generator didn't crank. Last time I was out there, I noticed the battery's only a couple of years old, but just wasn't turning over as quick as it should so i think it bit the dust so i got a in addition to the antifreeze i've got a battery i need to take in the opposite direction to another site so uh, i got got a full schedule lined up just on generator maintenance alone but anyway that's how my year is going so far it is friday the 13th so things could take a turn here at any moment things could be looking up they could. Speaking of things looking, Mike, you have the first email tonight, our first post. What do you got to talk about there? I do. And the first post I have for this evening is, uh, it's been in the news. I think it was announced uh, two days ago now. Uh, the Raspberry Pi uh, have introduced uh, new camera modules. And the exciting thing is, they all have autofocus. They're offering two different versions uh, with two different fields of view, a standard or a wide field of view. And um, it's going to be pretty interesting to see how far they take that camera. Uh, because even, even that expensive camera, it's a fixed focus. So um, this is kind of a, a leap forward in terms of cameras for the Raspberry Pi. So I'm kind of anxious to get my – and look at the prices too – uh, still the same price for the standard field of view, and if you want the uh, the wide field of view, it's going to cost you an extra ten bucks. But um, still a deal. Okay. Yeah, and those are those are cool. I, when they announced it, I went straight online, tried to order them, and nobody has them yet. So. Yeah. Well, they don't have the computers either right yeah. now. Although yeah, you, can, you can announce all kind of cool stuff. You don't have to produce it. <laughs> 
We might have done that before. <laughs> might have, but I'm not either confirming nor denying. <laughs> well, um, that's good news there, Mike. Well, well, I think the raspberry pies will be coming back in stock here before too long, it looks like. I've seen some people saying they found some fours. Yeah. So. I've got a segment here. A project I did recently that we haven't really covered on Amateur Logic before. We did on Ham College uh, quite some time ago. But I needed a quarter-wave stub because I was trying to get rid of some interference at a particular location. And we've all heard about the quarter-wave stubs. Well, I went through all the steps here on how to make one, get it right on frequency, and then test it out to see how well it worked. What do you do when you've got a UHF receive antenna that's located very near a commercial FM broadcast antenna that's putting out about 50 kilowatts, and you suspect your receiver is getting desensed by the FM signal? One solution might be to cut a quarter-wave stub for the offending frequency. In that case, rather than a shorting stub, you'll want a stub that is open on the end. Now, I've cut one out here, 24 inches long, just made it a little bit too long on purpose. What would we actually need for this frequency? The frequency we want to block is 101.7 megahertz. We need the velocity factor of the cable. We're using DX Engineering RG213-U, which is listed as having a velocity factor of 66. So we'll enter in 0.66. Now we're using the calculator here at arcticpeak.com slash antenna pages slash quarterwavestub.htm. We enter in our values there. We'll click the calculate button and it says the length of a quarter wave stub in meters is 0.487. We'll need to calculate that, so I'll use Google. 0.487 meters should be about 19.173 inches. So let's get started here and see if we can hit that frequency. We know we've got too much to start with, and that was on purpose, because you can cut all you want off, but you can't add any. I'm using my Rigol DSA-815 Spectrum Analyzer to do this with. You can also do it with some antenna analyzers. I've got my tracking generator enabled. I have that option on this analyzer. What that does is acts as a frequency generator for us. We're putting out a signal right here, and that's coming in one side of this T. The other side of the T is going into the input of the Spectrum Analyzer. And we've got our quarter-wave stub hooked right here in the middle. So let's just look at a couple of things. The tracking generator is on. The frequency in the center of the scope here is set for 101.7. That's the frequency that we're kind of interested in. And I've got some markers set up here. Let's look at those a little bit closer. Marker number two here is set for 101.7 megahertz. Marker number one down here, well, let's see. 
Marker number one is set at 79.56 megahertz. That's where our dip is. Minus 20 dBm is the level of the signal coming from our generator. Down here, we've got minus 57.53 dB. So we knock minus 20 off of there. We've got a notch that's approximately minus 37 dBm. Is that going to be enough to solve our problem? I don't know. We're just going to have to try this and see. So what we need to do is walk this notch up in frequency to our target of 101.7. To do that, we just need to start whacking away some cable here. Now we think that we're going to need around 19 inches. We're at 24 and a half inches right now. I'm going to take off half an inch and let's see what happens. Let's make this a 24-inch long stub. Well, and that did move things a little bit. Let's roll our number one marker over. Okay, now we're at 81.3 megahertz. So we're headed in the right direction. Let's go a little bit more. Let's um, let's get brave and go to 23 inches. Now I've marked this with some tape just so I'd know where I was on the line. Now you may have noticed when I clipped that cable how it changed up here. That's because we were shorting it out. So where are we now? Well, we've moved up a little more in frequency. Now we're at almost 85 megahertz. Still got a ways to go. Let's try another inch. We'll cut this down to 22 inches. Once again, when I start cutting this, notice what happens to that notch up there. Right there, we've shorted the cable. And you can see there's going to be a notch out here further, but this is in the passband because now this is a shorting stub. 88.68 megahertz. Well, let's get brave. Let's take an inch and a half off. Let's bring this to 20 and a half inches long. It's a pretty good little jump there. Almost 95 megahertz. But we can see that our number two marker here at 101.7 is starting to have a little bit of attenuation. I just want to set that notch right on it, though. It's like my calculations are going to be a little off. Let's take an inch off of that. Let's make this 19 and a half inches long. 100 megahertz. There's a marker for 101.7. We're almost there. So now we're going to start cutting this off uh, 
in very slight amounts. Well, I guess I'm going to try to take off an eighth of an inch here. We've moved it to about 100.35. Let's try another eighth of an inch. 19 and a quarter inches, which should still be a little bit too long, according to the calculations. We're almost there. Look at this. We want to put that perfectly on the bottom there. That's going to be just a tiny trim here. I don't even know if I can cut that close. I'm going to try, though. What we're actually measuring is to these end of the center conductor. So let's just see if I can cut off enough without going in the wrong direction. I'm going to try about, oh, I don't know, maybe how much is we're going to be able to cut. As little as I can. As a matter of fact, it's almost so little I can't cut it. What do you know? We got lucky there. Looks like we are right on the money. 101.7 megahertz. And we're at minus 57.7 dBm. So we'll knock the minus 20 off of there, which is where our signal is actually at. We can't see that because it's off the edges now. You know, we started the roll-off slope earlier in the trace. So if we subtract 20 from that, we've got a minus 37.5 dB notch. A couple of things are going to affect the accuracy of this. One of them is the frequency accuracy of my spectrum analyzer. Is it properly right on the money? The other is the actual frequency of the transmitter that we're trying to block. Is it actually on the money? And either one of those could be off a little bit. And it's probably not going to have much effect. I believe we should have a good healthy notch there. At least minus 37.5 dB. We'll see what that does. Uh, I'll have to take this to the transmitter site and install it on that receiver. And see what happens. Hopefully that will do the job. Well, there you go. That's how you would cut a quarter wave open stub to make a notch to cut out an offending signal and I happen to have a spectrum analyzer and that was perfect for doing that with I haven't done a lot of those before but uh, that was a lot of fun and kind of satisfying to see it actually fall in where it should you can also do this with an antenna analyzer and we might look at that yeah, one day. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Those MFJ antenna analyzers, I bet you could do yeah. it with that pretty easy, too. So I'm I'm going to probably try that here in the future and maybe compare to see how close we came out. There's probably some other ways to do it, too. This is as far as I got, though. Oh, yeah. That one right there. Will that one do it, Emil? Uh, probably. I don't know if this one goes up to 100. It might be HF only. Let me see. Yeah, six, uh, 60 meg. This one goes up to 60 meg, but on the HF side. Yeah. Well, if you needed to cut one within that range, uh, you could probably do it. 
Uh, I don't know. I, I've got to look further. The instructions I have are how to do it on MFJ 259, mm-hmm. which will work with any of that series. Um, I, I'm pretty sure you can do it with other ones as well. But could you do it with a radio and a scope? I don't know. Uh, I may have to look into that, too. You could do I it think by... It's... Noise level, I guess you could. I don't know if that's too accurate of a way of doing it, but um, I know some people yeah. tune de- duplexers that way by by putting a signal generator on on the input mm-hmm. and uh, listening for the maximum reduction in, in signal. And uh, but it's much nicer being able to see it on a spectrum analyzer for sure. Um, I have a question for you, George. It, does it matter where you place that quarter wave stub in the line in the in the line for the uh, the repeater in your case? Um, no, it really doesn't. You could put it anywhere in that line that you wanted to. I actually mounted that one right at the receive input on the repeater. In other words, it would be after the duplexers and the receive can, and then the jumper went to the repeater, I put the stub right there at the receiver on the repeater. And let me just say, it made a slight difference. Um, The particular tower we've got the repeater on, this has been going on for a year now. We've been trying to get uh, repeaters set up. And often... The repeater's perfect. The repeater's fine. It's just the... uh... Well, it's the site. You know, when you're working on sites that's got other stuff on them, you can actually uh, end up with some problems. And there's a lot of RF where this one is located. So putting a 35 dB notch in there was not enough. I think it made a slight difference. So I said, okay, if one helped maybe a little, what if I put a second one in there? So I cut a second one for the same frequency, and I put it at the input of the duplexers. And I said, okay, let's see. Theoretically, I'm thinking that ought to give me around 70 dB of rejection at that frequency. And slight difference, but still not not enough to accomplish what we want to do. So I'm not sure where we're at now. I'm about thinking, though, it's um, maybe it's not that frequency because there's there's three AM signals on this tower, and there is three FM signals on that tower, and then you know like a thousand feet away, there's a cell phone tower, and I don't know what all is on it, so. RF rich your uh, um, analyzer on site to have a look and see what 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 you think your repeater receiver is hearing. Um, I could do that, but I think it would just be uh, crazy. I mean, <laughs> you'd see so many things. Uh, so we have some friends that actually do a lot of uh, that type of work. Yeah. Uh, kind of work in uh, well with a lot of uh, two-way radios and such and have a little experience in it. So I think our next step is to get one of them to bring their equipment out and just measure it and see if if they can get any clues as to what might be going on. And if not, well, we're probably looking for a different site. But 
one way or another, hey, W5AXC is going to work. It's working <laughs> right now. If I sit in the parking lot right there at the bottom of the tower, <laughs> man, it is perfect. But when I get north of the tower where it's shadowed, can't go maybe a mile or so, and uh, that that's about it. It is cool that you nailed that frequency, though. I was pretty good cutting there, Professor. Uh, right, yeah. right, dead on yeah. the money. Satisfaction, man, guaranteed. <laughs> you know, and that's you know that's a lot. Thirty-five dB of attenuation in that little narrow uh, width right there, with just a piece of wire. That's the magic of RF. It's really cool. I uh, I remember going over that a little bit on Ham College. It's been quite some time, so mm-hmm. I was looking forward to seeing the segment myself tonight. Yeah. So I hope that made sense and uh, maybe help somebody's interference problems. Well, it it does help interference problems. But that if, didn't look like cheap old man compliant cutters, though. Tommy, you got a receipt for that? <laughs> uh, I've forgotten what I paid for those cutters. No, they were not. They were Southwire brand bought at Lowe's. But let me tell you, that is the most robust pair of wire cutters I've ever had. Nice. They, um, wow. You, you can tell on electricians never used them because there's no arc marks in the uh, <laughs> in, in the actual cutting part. Yeah, no, those aren't very old either, but uh, uh, my friend uh, Jeff, W5PPB, had a pair of those, and I saw him using them one day, and I said, oh, those are pretty neat, that's mighty big, you know, diagonal cutters to have, and then I had to cut a piece of wire, and he handed them to me, and it just went just right through it, my regular <laughs> ones, you know, I'd have been bearing down on them, so, yeah, having that little extra leverage in them. And good steel makes a difference. Tommy, have you got, I think you're the only one who has a bona fide email tonight. I do have an email, and the guy that sent it to me is actually in the chat room uh, right now. So uh, it's from Jay. Um, I don't have his call sign on here, but anyway, he says, uh, Good morning, Tommy. I purchased a VC4SL charger after seeing your updated review on Amateur Logic. The instruction manual came with it says it can charge D-sized batteries, but they don't fit, unless I'm not seeing something. C-cells work. Any ideas? And at first I got it. I'm like, well, you're right. It does say that, and they wouldn't fit. And they, I messed around. I don't have any D-rechargeable batteries, so I, I just had some regular D-cells. But anyway, they didn't work. I put it down, and the next day I'm like, something's got to give of that. It's got to work because it says it on the back. And I kept messing around, and I did find out you can fit two in there, but they have to only be on the outside slots. If you look at them without the batteries, it's got a little uh, concave mm-hmm. corners on them where they'll just barely fit in there, but they do fit. So but, th- there's actually a contact on the bottom of those batteries? Yeah, there's a little spring-loaded arm that comes okay. up that pushes it up. And the the top, the center piece on the top on the positive side, mm-hmm. just barely fits under the edge, but it does fit. And if you sit it up, they may fall out, so you pretty much need to lay it down. But they fit, but not by much. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, it's uh, call signs KB0TS. And anyway, thanks, Jay, for sending the email in. And uh, now we know. Wow. So I figured that might help somebody else as well. Because it's not pretty, not very obvious that they just pop in there. Yeah. 
Cool. Well, we got a lot more to go tonight. Plus, an announcement that we'll have in just a moment here. Don't go away, though, because we'll be right back. For years, hams have relied on the world's most popular antenna analyzer, the MFJ259B. That compact battery-powered RF impedance analyzer combined four basic circuits, a 1.8 to 170 megahertz variable frequency oscillator, a frequency counter, a 50-ohm RF bridge, and an 8-bit microcontroller. Now the MFJ259 has been updated to the new MFJ259C. All the same great functions present in the 259B with an expanded frequency range. The MFJ259C covers all frequencies from 530 kHz to 230 MHz, allowing measurements all the way from the AM broadcast band through the 220 MHz amateur band. Make a wide variety of useful antenna impedance measurements, including coaxial cable loss and distance to an open or short. Primarily designed for analyzing 50-ohm antenna and transmission line systems, the MFJ259C also measures RF impedances between a few ohms and several hundred ohms. It also functions as a signal source and a frequency counter. The MFJ259C gives you a complete picture of your antenna's performance. Read antenna SWR and complex impedance, determine velocity factor, coaxial cable loss in dB, length of coax, and distance to a shorter opening feet. Read SWR, return loss, and reflection coefficient at any frequency simultaneously at a single glance. You can even read inductance and microhenries and capacitance and picofarads at RF frequencies. The large, easy-to-read two-line LC CD screen and side-by-side meters clearly display all the information you need. While a lot of new antenna analyzers have appeared in the market recently, none give you the flexibility and wide assortment of RF measurement capabilities the MFJ259C does. And for UHF, the MFJ269C adds 415 to 470 MHz coverage with a characteristic impedance input of 0 to 600 ohms and a 12-bit A to D converter. But wait, there's more! Now the new MFJ259D and 269D give you coverage down to 100 kHz plus the 2200 meter band. When it comes to wideband antenna analyzers, no one's got you covered like MFJ. Visit MFJEnterprises.com today. So you've got a special announcement for us here. We we had one last show we we had, and this one's kind of, I don't know if undoing it's gonna, it. It's not going to undo it. It's going to supersede it. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, the we've had the Amateur Logic Soundcheck Net going on for years, uh, 149 weeks, I think. Uh, when the pandemic started, and we kind of had to wrap it up. It was uh, it served its purpose, and it was kind of time to move on for various and sort of reasons. But uh, Tom, WA2IVD, uh, Tom Apollonic, I hope I said that right, Tom, uh, stepped up and has uh, set up another net to take its place. It's called the Logic Net, and it'll be on Tuesday night. Uh, should be the same. Uh, same connections we had on the soundcheck net. Uh, it's going to be on the Tuesday night following the Amateur Logic live stream. So that the next first net will be this coming Tuesday, uh, January the seventeenth. Uh, it's going to be a little bit different format. Uh, it's going to be mostly on uh, stuff off of Amateur Logic uh, comments, 
you know, things like that, questions, whatever you got about that uh, primarily. Um, but anyway, hope to see some of you on there. Uh, watch in the same places for the uh, the reminders to come out, all the social media stuff. So um, anyway, we only missed uh, one week. Maybe yeah. One week, well, I think, without yeah. a net. Uh, maybe two. But anyway, it wasn't very long to be without. Uh, so we got one st- coming up. It's, again, it's going to be once a month on Tuesday following the live stream. So anyway, hope to see some of you in there. Thanks to Tom and everybody that's uh, stepped up to kind of put that together. Um, should be a lot of fun. So I hope to see some of you on there. Yeah. Hear, hear some of you on there. Thanks, Tom. You know, it was, it was kind of looking like, uh, well, I don't know. Doing the net every week was... A little taxing uh, for for some of us, although we were rotating the load around. But just cutting it off cold turkey, I'm th- you know, it's feeling like, oh, we got all these friends here. You know, it'd be nice to talk with them every now and then, thanks to Tom here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Honestly, that was the best part of it, is getting to yeah. talk to people. And uh, it, it's the best part. Yeah. I don't know what else to say about it. So, um, Yeah. Uh, looking forward to it, and that's going to be this coming Tuesday night. Uh, I noticed Tom had said, wow, pronounced correctly and everything. I rarely hear that. So you got his last name correct. I've been practicing. Yeah. <laughs> I also noticed in the chat room, Arnie said, George, can you explain a circulator in a repeater setup? Maybe. But... <laughs> I, I don't want to just up and do it. I, I actually, uh, I've got it in my head how it works, but I'm not sure I could put it into words. So that, that may be a good topic for me to look into. But uh, yeah. Is that covered in Ham College or the Extra or anywhere like that, or is it mainly repeater? Uh, I don't remember it being on anything we've covered so far. I think maybe the, it has come up, but I don't know that we really explained it. Okay. <laughs> But it is a very useful um, piece of equipment to have on the output of a transmitter, um, especially when you're when you're sharing a, a site with uh, yes, multi-coupled in with a bunch of other uh, systems. Yeah, hmm. I can tell the stories about what happens when you don't have one. That we'll <laughs> talk about sometime that occurred here. Uh, oh. I thought you were going to give us a bad pun, like uh, <laughs> put it out of circulation or something like that. Well, um, it did put somebody out of circulation for a little bit, but uh, the FCC got involved in it. So it's Ooh. one of those kind of tales. But I don't know. We'll uh, we'll talk about that one day. <laughs> but right now, it's time for email. And I think I know where he's going to go with this because the Jackson Amateur Radio Club's annual ham fest is coming up. It's the 27th and the 28th. Here in Jackson, Mississippi. And we're looking forward to that because, you know, we haven't really had uh, a lot of ham fests. We did have one last year. Things started coming back. This year, I think they have a better lineup uh, there, uh, more tables sold, some... uh, some more dealers in there. So we're looking forward to a good ham fest here in Jackson. But when that occurs, 
As fate would have it, it is the same weekend another event that we've been wanting to participate in for years happens. But we do have one guy here who actually does participate in that event. (laughs) Who could it be? Well, Oh, me? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The 28th. The 28th this year and the 29th. So the day of your second day and after is Winter Field Day. And when the South weather is trying to figure out whether it's going to be a Southern Fried Field Day or not, we're going to be preparing. In fact, I've already started preparing for Winter Field Day, and that's what you're going to see. Hello, George, Tommy, Mike, Amateur Logic TV viewers. In this episode, I want to talk about preparing for winter field day and what our station, or my station in the field, will hopefully look like. Some of the things we do logistically winter field day is obviously we go to the site, learn up about their uh, rules, how to participate as well as establishing our presence or location for our site and with them it's a matter of entering information about your club or site whatever you're doing for that winter field day and then posting it out here so that they they know and others can see we also pick a site we have a very generous ham in our club on our system of Aries that we use and uh, he's also a Mars station with the Air Force so station is a great station and we have a great location where we operate out here in the field you know people are used to setting up doing the whole thing out there in the field because there's nothing really like that now I don't think we're gonna have as uh, wintry a condition (laughs) as some but you never know it's not here yet it's out on the 28th and the, uh, so we'll we'll see how that pans out for us. But every other year, I don't think it's anything near what this is uh, that you see in the picture here for us down in the south. So we'll see, though. We'll take, see what it brings us. We'll go from there. So that's some of the logistics of things. Uh, we also pick a logger. Their their format for the logs is uh, Carrillo format. We've got to have something consistent between all the people who show up. So we'll do that, too. So there's some of the logistics of setting up beforehand. I've, I've chosen my FT991 this year. It's a, it's a basically a shack in a box. Gotta have that microphone. This is a replacement microphone that has the DTMF from the stock mic. And it's connecting cables. Actually, the DC power cable is there. Uh, plan on running it from the uh, truck battery terminals. And also you gotta have the USB connection for the radio as I will definitely be doing digital work via the built-in sound card on this radio and cat control. It's always good from my perspective to bring a tool bag, especially if you want to help other hams who might just be learning or starting out trying to figure out what to do. That's my mobile mat that I use if I have to solder on the back of the bed of the truck or somewhere and I don't want to uh, burn things. 
Got that couple of soldering irons there in my uh, bag that I picked up a while back from Army Surplus. Lots of good canvas bags from Army Surplus, but got a basic complement of tools, soldering uh, supplies all around this bag and uh, does the job. Some of my tiny screwdrivers, wire strippers, and cutting pliers and you name it, screwdrivers. There's all kind of stuff in the bag, all kind of stuff in the uh, the side pouch pockets here. Good to uh, good canvas bag. I've had that for years. Those things just last and they're tough. They take a beating. Uh, one of the things I learned from my uh, safety officer during any field day or deployment is to have a little uh, bag here of uh, first aid supplies. So. Lots of that available online. Uh, this one was pretty cheap, uh, if I remember right. So hopefully it's got the right things in it. I'll check with my safety officer, Glenn, KG5CN, to make sure. Even though I'll be out in the field, it's likely that we will have some type of uh, inverter power supply, which I'll show you in a bit. A pure sine wave inverter, which I do emphasize. Please, if you're going to use uh, some type of uh, AC, DC to AC, Conversion definitely get the pure sine wave inverters just for your for your equipment sake for sure and here is Another instance of a canvas bag which currently has a uh, it's had a, a mask and a magnet mount I usually put the rope and Wire and anything else I have to do in there and this is just a, a bag or a miscellaneous bag I think I got from Huntsville if I'm not mistaken from the ARRL yeah, I was from the ARRL. So there's the radio side, or what my selection is for this year. Before we go to antennas, another thing worth mentioning is if you're going to take the portable operations out so that you can communicate to each other in the field or through repeaters that are local, even though those points don't really count in a, in a field day, uh, if you're going to take these, make sure you have the right stuff because I'll have the FT991, I'll likely take my ID51 out to have the D-Star because our, our club does operate D-Star capable repeaters in the area. So I'll probably take the radio, the charger, the extra batteries, the antenna, etc. And uh, sometimes I'll take out SDR with me, SDR Play Duo, just to uh, take a look at the bands, see what's out there. But this year we, we're, we're hosted at a uh, ham station that has quite the setup so i'll probably use this setup more to figure out what the bands are up to during that day but don't forget your portable operations and all the pieces parts that you need extra battery radio charger i actually have this little antenna analyzer too that i use for mobile uh setup when i put my antennas in the truck bed whether it's a ham stick or something else i'll you can use that to analyze swr and what have you so don't forget the portable stuff. Come here, boy. Come here. Come here, boy. Sit. 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 All right. You gonna go get me an antenna, boy? You gonna go get me an antenna? Go get it, boy. Go get it. Go get it. So on the antenna side, over the years I've uh, developed my go-to accessories and antennas. First off, obviously, the rope. This is that, what I put in that green bag you saw earlier. The rope here there's some dacron because you're always going to wind up tying off something somewhere depending on how windy it is or how the conditions basically are in your site 
obviously the coax. I got a good piece of 100 foot coax here, I believe from DX Engineering, as well as a center conductor. That's an Alpha Delta. You never know what you're going to have to put together on the fly in the field. That's what it's all about for me. This antenna here is, I believe it's a B Square Engineering J pole that I use for UHF and VHF. That usually goes on the top of my uh, DX Engineering or I'm sorry, MFJ 1919EX telescoping mask that I had from, uh, I think I got it from DX Engineering, that's probably why it's like that. Um, it's always good to have some wire to make antennas. This is some really good THHN here, which I probably wouldn't use something that good, but you never know, I might. I have the original launcher that I created way back when I first started with uh, the cheap old man minutes. There's some fishing line, because you gotta have that fishing line to grab that stuff out of the trees. Also, from my purchases this year, I have Wolf River coil down there that I'll probably try to implement and use. And there's some rope and other eyes and ends in the bottom of that bucket. So there's my bucket of antenna. There's a ham locally too, here. Guy, I forget his call sign. But uh, last year, I learned and got from him some wooden stakes. Because as you're using that rope over there to uh, tie things down, sometimes you're out in the middle of a field it's always good to have some good wooden stakes to uh, put in the ground and tie off to if needed. Usually put them in on like a 45 degree angle, have a little maul to hammer them in. And the bag here helps me carry all of this stuff. That was from, uh, you know, those guys sell the poles um, in tent kits. I think it's mess tent kits, basically. They're fiberglass metal poles that you can buy at every ham fest. Well, that's the bag that they come in. So. I uh, just use that and there there are some other accessories over here that I've come accustomed to using and they are the MFJ tuner with its own um, injector here the bias T this particular one will handle up to 300 watts and I don't do any more than hundred so it is perfect for field day you have the different inputs there and the power as well as the uh, post here for a wire and as far as the model there it is it's the 993 BRT 300 watt automatic tuner so since I do 100 watts in the field that is the one that I'll stick with it works great whether I'm using Glenn's vertical or a wire just works great so there's some insulators for wire antennas that's the bias T that comes with the tuner so that you can uh, run 12 volts to it via the coax. Always need some sealer tape. I always bring some, a roll of that in some form or fashion. Some uh, center connector balins. And I love these little clips, the wire clips you can get usually at Home Depot or uh, Lowe's. They all have them, cable connectors and carabiner clips man yeah, I can't I don't know how we we should not live without those good stuff to have um, I also use the hose clamps to put some of the antennas the verticals on the masts right, that's a little bit of up from the antenna side now earlier I was talking about the uh, inverters I've had some cheaper inverters in the past differing wattage brands and wattage ratings and you know these are cheaper ones put out not a pure sine wave so 
a while back I upgraded over to uh, one of Renergy's project products, the uh, pure sine wave inverter here. If you're using sensitive electronics equipment, communications gear like laptops or sound card type digital stuff out in the field, you're going to want the pure sine wave because uh, some of this creates all kind of noise for your uh, setups and just won't run it properly. It, even the ones built into the vehicles, a lot of them are not pure sine wave. Um, so you can always always put a scope on it to see. Again, a little bit more on the cleaner side of power when you're converting from DC to AC, especially if you're using sensitive comms equipment out in the field. Another thing I'll have with me is usually my uh, PowerWorks equipment and bag here for making connectors or making cables that I can use with my radios. It's the um, power pole type and connectors and crimpers and also in here I believe is my power gate. The Epic power gate which will automatically switch between a battery source and a power source so that's usually another bag that comes with me and speaking of sensitive electronic equipment the laptop which will run all the digital modes of course I'm not gonna bring that screen with me but you've all seen that one it's got all of my uh, softwares that I need with all the ham related softwares preloaded configured and most importantly updated make sure you update it before you go out in the field best you can I spied some stuff that wasn't cheap old man compliant. <laughs> Busted. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that that uh, pure sine wave inverter was nowhere near cheap old man compliant. <laughs> no, and you know how I always say, there's just certain equipment, you better get it to work for it to do the job, yeah. especially in emergency situations. Yeah. Oh, you can't yeah. cheap out, man. Yeah. yeah. On that topic, I did an episode uh, or a segment back Years ago, I don't know if it was the first one. Yeah, that was it the first one. Been. Where, where, um, yeah, I guess we've been through where her the power con- strips or fl- filtering out the, yeah, yeah, we have episode uh, one after Katrina. I think it was episode one. I my generator wouldn't crank, and that generator was in the intro of the show for a long time. Me pulling that rope I and. That. Me too. But anyway, so I ended up uh, using my battery in my vehicle and uh, plugged in, uh, inverted it. I had just, uh, I think it was a 400 watt. And I plug a power strip into it. And I think it was throwing the breaker on it or doing, just I can't. Like filtering it out or something. No, it's it was doing something bad. Uh <laughs> That's bad. It may have been throwing a breaker on the power strip. I don't remember. But, was that uh, that? Was that that power strip that you used your uh, FLIR and it was glowing? No, no. <laughs> okay. But it was the same uh, situation, more or less. You know, a lot of those claim to be surge protectors, and they have an MOV in there. Yep. An MOV does not like a noisy inverter. Let me just put it like that. Yeah, Glenn, Glenn and I already for field day. Some of the things you didn't see in that video were obviously the objects that Glenn brings because he's kind of the other uh, 
end of our winter field day, at least him, him and I uh, station that we set up. And so you'll see more of that on the other side of winter field day. And uh, between the two of us, we, we can make some things work. Got to hand it to Glenn, uh, including he's usually our safety officer. We, we, if there's points to be had for that, he, he fills in the gaps and he's really good at making things work. So um, things like the uh, pie, the DigiPie image and the, the pies that we use for some of the packet and other operations. So looking forward to working with Glenn out there. I noticed the little safety pack you had there, and I was thinking, man, that would fit just perfect under that dog's neck right there, you know. <laughs> think I should bring the safety dog? <laughs> yeah, the safety dog. Uh, yeah. i look into that. So I, I have you're... to admit, though, at the, at the opening of your segment, when I saw all of the uh, bags packed, I thought, oh, boy, Mill bought one too many radios, and his wife's throwing them out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Winterfield Day could be an extended stay, depending on how many radios you bought prior year. Yeah. <laughs> or well, depending on whether you get back in the house when you get back. <laughs> I, I hope you all have a good time and make a few contacts for us. Oh, yeah. We'll do. Yeah. Have fun at the Ham Fest. Yeah. Looking forward to that, too. Well, where are we at? Oh, it's. It's time for me to read an email. Well, I don't have one, but well, I, I do have an interesting story here I want to share. This came from a story at KSL-TV in Salt Lake City. Public land officials hiked for hours up a snowy trail to remove a mysterious device, one that's popping up all over the foothills. These towers have been bolted into different peaks and summits and ridges, it all started with one or two, and now it might be up to a dozen. These small towers don't have permits, and it's unclear who installed them. It might be related to cryptocurrency and relaying networks and being able to make money off of that. That's another reason that they want to stop it now before it becomes a dumping ground for dozens and dozens more antennas. Cryptocurrency is just one idea the city has heard. Trail officials may learn more once the locked boxes are open. Just I think they s- might have missed the mark on that. That solar panel's a little small for uh, Bitcoin mining, well, I think. That's what I would think, too, you know. <laughs> I'm thinking that that's almost got ham radio written all over it oh, right yeah. there. But you would think... Hey, Mel. Is that is that your the other end of your ubiquity uh, wireless link? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you would almost think that somebody would have taken a radio or a spectrum analyzer or an SDR or something, and just looked at what was coming out of the thing, you know, frequency wise. But, uh, yeah, maybe they will. Anyway. So I did a little research to see what the heck could you make money with all those, you know, little uh, solar radio sites like that that you mysteriously put up. Could be aliens a mill. We had to unmute. Uh, is is this going to be another conspiracy segment? Um, um, I don't know. Yeah. They all could be. Well... <laughs> I I did a little research, and I found out that helium, 
is a type of cryptocurrency that relies on a wide network of antennas to provide coverage. The wider someone's network, the more tokens they can mine. And that doesn't make any sense just right up. Uh, But helium miners can use online articles to learn more about solar-powered rigs and deploy them in rural areas. And I looked at helium.com, and this is what's there. Powered by the Helium blockchain, the People's Network. What the heck? And so I looked under use here, and there's a lot of different things they're talking about. Who uses Helium? Well, apparently all these folks right here, Smarter Agriculture, IoT, Roaming Partner, Indoor-Outdoor Location Tracking, uh, Pet Tracking, Smart Gateways, Air Quality Monitors. It's a mesh network. It's a mesh network of some type. And apparently you you set up nodes and you uh, get on the network. And then I guess whenever somebody uses it for one of these applications that you'll earn a few tokens or something. There's a Canadian uh, company in that list. Yeah. Internet of Beer. Did you see that? Uh, Yeah, I think I did notice that. (laughs) Do you see that? View network map. Okay. (laughs) Now you got my interest. (laughs) So when I went and looked here, right over here in the U.S., right in our area, Mill. Well, this is the Jackson, Mississippi area. There's folks here who have set those up already, right here in my town of Ridgeland. And there's some not far from my house. And you Mm. look at them and you you see stuff like this. uh, Expert hazelnut panther. Skinny (laughs) cherry bird. Skinny cherry bird. Now... (laughs) They've got plus zero HNT, and I'm not sure what that means. But there's like three of them just all right there together. Oh, orbiting burgundy yeah. ostrich. I know that <laughs> it, might, it must yeah. kick those names. Now, the colossal Dijon wasp has actually <laughs> has got <laughs> 0.83 of whatever that is. Let's, that reminds me of the CompuServe days when they used to give you the random uh, usernames. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Let's let's move on down a little bit here. Yeah, look at that. Go over to the right. Yeah, yeah, look at that. That's right in my neighborhood. Yeah. Literally. All those twos, that two cluster to the right over look at there. All my coverage. That's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's me right there. there. And I guess these are just ind- individuals here who set these up. Hmm. Vultures uh, and armadillos. Oh, look. Magnificent. They've, they've got real numbers here, whole numbers. And fractions, too. Interesting. Yeah, so email, this might be something you and Glenn have got to check out. The Internet of Beer, I'm on it. Oh, look at these two, man. Daring Grape Lobsters. I've never had grape lobster. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Butter raccoon? Yeah. I don't think so. Mm. So, anyway. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> that's uh, that's what helium is about, is, uh, I guess, setting up these 
these radio sites and letting people use your bandwidth and you get you basically know. makes a network yeah um, basically well i would say a free mesh now, network but i don't know if it's free i won't find mike's neighborhood see that little uh right under validators there that's lake simcoe see that little there's a little lake above uh, lake ontario i don't know which one that's lake erie you're on right now where's ontario Ontario. oh you were just on lake ontario oh yeah Yep, right yeah, there. Yeah, just go about, a little about. north of that, and there's a little lake right there. Yeah, yeah, that's Lake Simcoe. I'm I'm really near there. Let's see. Oh, let's move, see. Move over to the west. Oh look, there's some folks here who's got some. Yeah, that's that's Barry. That's um, that's kind of the major population area around me where I work. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Huh. There's a lot there. Wow, look at that koala's marooned. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, interesting. I've never I've never heard of it. Um I had heard the name, but I didn't know what it was, and now I could see yeah, maybe there is some little value to that, but on the other hand, that thing has got to be close enough somewhere it can connect to the next one and you got a mesh and yep uh, there was some project underway that i read about a few years ago that uses used everyone's cellular phone uh to basically become like a they were calling it like a man net skynet or S- um <laughs> skynet yeah um and the way it worked is it was using the Wi-Fi that was built into all your smartphones, and then they would pass information along uh, from phone to phone, kind of like peer to peer, instead of going through a cell site. Yeah. Huh. Anyway, if you see those mysterious small solar-powered antennas popping up around, no, it, we know. I'm going to have to check out the beer net. Yeah. Well, we're going to be back in just a moment because Mike's got something interesting to show us here as well. Happy New Year from ICOM. Didn't get everything on your wish list? Spice up your ham shack with one of ICOM's popular handhelds, mobiles, or base stations. These radios are perfect for working your favorite bands while staying inside or venturing out this winter. The IC705 is the perfect sidekick and QRP companion. Base Station features and functionalities at the tips of your fingers in a portable package covering HF 6 meters, 2 meters, and 70 centimeters. This compact rig weighs in just under 2 pounds with RF direct sampling for most of the HF band and IF sampling for frequencies above 25 megahertz. 4.3 inch color touchscreen with live band scope and waterfall. 5 watts with the included BP272 battery, or 10 watts with 13.8 volt external DC. Single sideband, CW, AM, FM, as well as full D-Star functions. The perfect accessory for the IC705 is the optional backpack LC192. The ID52A is a VHF-UHF dual band with D-Star and FM dual mode functions, and is the first handheld radio with a full-color 2.3-inch waterfall display. 
This radio supports conventional FM communications and D-Star simplex, repeater, regional, and worldwide calls over the D-Star Internet Gateway. Create your own band opening with the IC9700. This radio brings direct sampling to the UHF-VHF weak signal world. The IC7300 is a high-performance HF transceiver with a compact design that will far exceed your expectations. RF direct sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope, and SD memory card slot. The real ham fun starts here. Happy Holidays from ICOM America. And visit ICOMAmerica.com slash amateur for more information on ICOM radios. Mike, what is tonight's topic of interest? Tonight's topic of, uh, of interest, it's a, uh, I'm going to say it's an awesome upgrade to uh, anybody that's using PyStar. You're going to want to check out uh, w 0 uh, CHP's um, PyStar Dash, um, and I'm and uh, before we roll this, I got to give credit to my my buddy uh, Gord uh, VA3TWT who uh, sent out a, a notification via email that this uh, this was uh, available, and I didn't know anything about it at the time, but I checked it out, and it's it's really really cool. Chip W0CHP's PyStar Dashboard. W0CHP's PyStar Dash is a customized fork of Andy Taylor, MW0, MWZ's popular PyStar software. Looking at the main dashboard, you'll immediately notice the differences in the layout. I really like the default night mode view, but you can customize the colors as you wish. This is the admin landing page. So much useful information at a glance. If you're using the Brandmeister system for DMR, this page is for you. Because of Brandmeister's API, a lot of control is passed on to the PyStar dashboard. Currently there is an issue with TGIF's API, but I suspect that this will be addressed soon. The next few slides show some of the new features in W0CHP PyStar Dash. The Instant Mode Manager function allows you to instantly pause or resume selected radio modes. Chip writes that this is handy for attending nets or quieting a busy mode. Here we have a view of the live caller screen. Live calls will appear with their call sign and sometimes with a picture. Mobile device users will really appreciate this mobile device view, a much needed addition for tablet and smartphone users. While you can upgrade an existing PyStar installation to W0CHP PyStar Dash, I recommend that you start with a W0CHP image file. Let's get started. Open up a web browser and head over to W0CHP.net and on to W0CHP PyStar Dash. In the interest of time, I won't be covering all of the details that Chip has graciously posted on his site. However, I strongly encourage you to take the time to read in order to thoroughly understand what you're about to do. This page deals with upgrading an existing installation of PyStar. Since we're installing a completely new image file, we could admit this. These next few pages list many, but not all, features, enhancements, and emissions. Now it's time to download and write the W0CHP PyStar Dash image file to a microSD card. 
Just click on the disk image download link to download and save the image file to your computer. W0CHP PyStar Dash was not created for single core and low powered hardware such as first generation Raspberry Pi Zero. This software will run very slowly on underpowered hardware. Because of these hardware requirements, I was unable to use my Raspberry Pi Zero W boards, but for simplicity I decided to try it out on my Raspberry Pi 400. I'm using an STM32 based MMDVM jumbo spot board for this project. In order to fully seat the board onto the Raspberry Pi 400's GPIO pins, I needed to flush cut a couple of the ground pins of the SMA antenna connector. First time power up. Okay, now that you've downloaded the WPSD latest image file and written it to a micro SD card, insert it into your Raspberry Pi and power it up. This is the first time boost screen as seen from the Raspberry Pi. You should see the following appear. We will need to log in in order to perform any tasks such as downloading and installing any updates. Log in as PyStar and the password is Raspberry. In order to receive updates, ensure that your Raspberry Pi is connected to an internet connection. If DHCP is available on your network, it should obtain a free IP address from the DHCP pool. The IP address assigned appears here. Be sure to make note of it. Once we're connected to the network, let's update PyStar by doing sudo pystar-update. Coffee time! The update will take several minutes to complete. Be sure not to interrupt the update process. You will see a message when the update process has completed like this. Now open up a browser using a computer on your LAN and navigate to the IP address that was shown on the boot screen. You did remember that IP address, didn't you? Okay, go ahead and log in. And uh, default password, PyStar Raspberry, will get you in. If you don't do anything, you'll automatically be directed to the configuration page. Those familiar with PyStar will recognize the following fields. Basically, all those fields that are in white must uh, replace with your own data. And uh, I can't really show you because your mileage is going to vary here. So if you need any help with PyStar, first-time user, say, for example, you can go to the uh, Internet there's tons of videos on how to set up PyStar and configure it, so I suggest you consult uh, Google's your best friend here. So go ahead and, and change the configuration to suit your station, and uh, once you've done that, you can click on any of the Apply Changes buttons. They will automatically save the changes and restart PyStar for you. I've skimmed over many of the finer details, but those familiar with Andy Taylor's classic version of PyStar won't have any difficulty. For those of you new to PyStar, I encourage you to check out the past Amateur Logic TV episodes and the many online resources. A special thanks for uh, Chip W0CHP for all his efforts, not only in the uh, in the writing of this application, but also the very detailed documentation he's put on his website. So thanks very much for that, Chip. And also, if you read further down, uh, there's a message from Chip's website, which gives due credit to uh, other individuals such as Andy Taylor, Jonathan Naylor, and others. So anyway, that's all the time we have for today. So thanks for watching, and 7-3 from VE3MIC. You got my curiosity up now. Give me some reasons that, that I'd want to 
to swap over and start using this? Well, uh, one thing I find is there's those uh, three screens in the presentation that I showed you that don't really exist in the uh, regular PyStar. Um, the, uh, let, let's say, for example, um, well, actually, I had one one example of this. I, I don't know if you remember the DV4 Mini. It had uh, an option there where if you turned it on, it, I think it would qu query QRZ's database and, and pull up um, – the caller ID information. Um, and that, of course, only applies to certain modes such as DMR, but uh, it would show you a, a picture of, of of their profile pic on QRZ. It would show up with their call sign. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, snooze mode is, is kind of neat. Um, if you don't want to uh, actually change um, uh, talk groups, Say say you have a net coming on, you can you can go to the qu quick change screen and just make the change from there very quickly. Um, and I've forgotten what the third one was, <laughs> but um, other than that, there's a lot more information uh, on those uh, on those status screens than what you see normally on on the regular PyStar dashboard. And that's so, what I noticed what? right off the bat. Right off the bat, I saw. The, the screens and the amount of information that's displayed. Yeah. It's all there at a glance. You, had, you don't really have to go searching for it, uh, which is, is really nice. Yeah, it looks really cool. Yeah. I'm oh, going to check it the, out. The, the, the last thing I was going to mention is the, um, the, mobile, uh, the mobile screens. If you're using a tablet or a, or a smartphone, um, the, the mobile screen view is is pretty neat. Uh, trying to, I don't know if you've ever tried to use PyStar on your phone, but you're always tr trying to pan around and scroll around on the screen to fit all the information yep. in. Whereas um, the mobile screens have been designed specifically for mobile devices, so they they format correctly. Hmm. There was a um, an article that caught my eye from uh, IEEE Spectrum. Um, and it's about um, a, a group of scientists noticed that you know there was these uh, devices that were available to uh, I guess a food processing industry, and what they were used for was for detecting metal within food products. But hmm. I guess he got the idea that hey, if we can bump up the sensitivity a little bit, we could probably use that as a very sensitive device for for monitoring space weather. And uh, there's mention there about um, space weather killing satellites and the and the storm that killed the SpaceX Starlink launch in Quebec in 1989. There was a, a grid shutdown because of a solar storm. But anyway, uh, long story short, uh, they figured out a way to make modifications to this available board. They're calling it an MI sensor. So they've they've increased the sensitivity from uh, 0.1 nanoteslas to uh, 100 nanoteslas. So there you go. There's there's quite a difference there in the sensitivity after wow. the modifications. Email, I believe you had a post here. It is a post, absolutely, from our uh, long-time friend and friend we got to meet last year over in Xenia, W7JET, Brian Betts. And oh, he yeah. says, I spent some time and money today doing some maintenance to his EW antenna, or as we call it, East-West-East. Um, <laughs> it's used for uh, – it, well, he says it uses the unified microsystem BevFlex transformers and controls 
which makes a huge difference on 40, 80, and 160 for receiving for him. He says the antenna is basically a two-phase two phase verticals oriented for east-west and is reversible. So there you go. Brian Betson is you antenna. Cool, cool stuff. stuff. <gasps> Say what? It's like half a four square. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, using those transformers, the yeah. bed flex. Yep. Nice. Well, we'll be interested to hear how that works out for them there. Anytime you can go directional with your antennas, you're going to be getting some gain. Some yeah, gain. and you can null out some of the noise if it's hitting yes. you from somewhere else. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. gain, the gain works both ways. Yeah. So where you have gain, you have rejection on the opposite side. So I guess in summary, Tommy, what have you got in summary to talk about? <laughs> well, it's, it's been a good show. It's uh, some interesting topics tonight. All all three segments were great. I, I thought they were good. Uh, I'm gonna go back and look up some of the uh, the stuff Mike showed us. The uh, W0CHP five star stuff. Check that yeah, out. if you look at the website, um, there's a lot of disclaimers. Um, you know, Chip's been uh, pretty gracious, but he has also said, you know, don't don't bother him about if you can't get it working for support issues. So um, I guess my advice is do yourself a favor. Don't try to update an existing installation of Pystar. Just download the image and, and run the new image. You're going to have to put all the configuration settings back in. But my experience has been when I've upgraded from one PyStar to another version of the dashboard, even though I had backups of my previous configuration, if I loaded that configuration into the updated version of the dashboard, I found that there was glitchy things that didn't work afterwards. So you're better off just... uh, hand-bombing the stuff back in manually. I've actually got a couple pages printed out, uh, front and back of a piece of paper with my configuration stuff on it, and I just go do that. It takes like five minutes to put that stuff in. Yeah, that's the way to do it. You've got a good clean install. Yeah. And I I think it's also uh, a good idea. You know, micro SD cards are pretty cheap these days. Yeah. Take your existing one and just set it aside and burn your image to a new one. So if all else fails, you can you can go back to where you were. Yeah. That's right. And even though they're cheap, don't go cheap on the card. No, no, no. Get a de- get a decent it, card. Yeah. You don't do yourself wanna... a favor. Yep, those work good. I started using these high endurance uh-huh. uh, cards. Uh, it, it I haven't been using them long enough to say that they're any better than the other ones but i've had i've had ones fail after probably about the year mark especially if they're doing a lot of uh, kind of io activity mm-hmm. um one thing i need to check on is um whether or not the raspberry pi operating systems have any improved algorithms for what they call wear leveling on uh solid state memory because there's certainly no wear leveling built in. Unlike a solid-state disk drive, there's no wear leveling built into an SD card. Yes. Cool. Email. And I didn't really mean a summary, but I, that's what I said. Well, that's what you asked for. That's what you got. <laughs> okay. Well, you got anything else you want to say before no, we go? No. 
Now, email. What about down there? Well, in summary, Louisiana, we're we're gonna uh, we're gonna brave out the fierce weather winter conditions that we always have at Winter Field Day in the South. Uh, if you kill it, West Florida, it makes yeah. it seem warmer. <laughs> West West Florida, yeah, Mike, uh, will will be no doubt in the blizzard like snowy ice conditions here so uh you know i'm saying that but i'm hoping it's not that it usually isn't and we wind up talking to people and giving them our conditions and either they just don't talk back to us after we tell them what our conditions are (laughs) or they're like what the heck yeah (laughs) yeah it's supposed to start out pretty cool uh tomorrow morning and then uh supposed to be a little bit nicer in the afternoon Yep, that's not to the 27th, so. Oh, that's uh, true. Oh, yeah. that's right. You know, it's a, from Hamfest memory, which falls on the same weekend, I've gone there before wearing a T-shirt and sweating, and then the next and year it might be snowing. It snowed. <laughs> not much. Flurries. The invention yeah. used to be like that because it used to be um, a few weeks earlier in the year. And then they uh, they they had the idea of uh, well this is crazy let's uh, let's move the date so um, yeah I can't remember since they moved the date there being snow flurries but I remember having snow flurries at Hamvention in the early days when I when I first started attending I don't remember any snow since I've been going but I do remember there being some horrendous storms oh yeah yeah well Mike any final thoughts from up there. For this month, mm. a summary, please. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think so. I I can't believe we're almost mid- midway into January already. I'm going to have to get cooking on some of those projects in the box that I keep saying that I'm going to do that I never do. Yeah. I'd like to see. I'd like to see a segment on a tour of the box. That would be a starting place. <laughs> it might be a. It might be a sad reminder to myself, though. <laughs> well. Yeah, but it'll be ammunition for email and the rest of us. <laughs> what I really need to do is let Marty win that contest and, and finish my bid X40. Yeah. It, yep. It's about time. Well, I guess in summary tonight, I'm going to say I, I enjoyed it. Good topics tonight and... I did notice in the chat room, they want to know, how many radios are you guys bringing to Winterfield Day, Mill? Um, right now, I think we'll probably have uh, three stations in the field, plus the operator, the him who's hosting the event, or the field, I should say, is a uh, Mars station extreme with flex radio and also uh, a beam and several mm-hmm. very high antennas. So he has a mega station. uh and we'll be uh, three radios in the field. So we'll, uh, what is it, W5SLA outside, or I forget the exchange, and we'll have to learn that again. Yeah. Cool. Well, maybe one year they'll shift schedules around here where we can do that. I guess that's going to do it for tonight. And just a reminder, this uh, coming Tuesday night, January the 17th, Join us on the new Logic Net, where Tom will be calling it along with his Marty. I think Marty's out this time. It'll be Tom. Okay. And this will be a 
Well, an offshoot from um, the sound check net that we have run for, I don't know, last couple of years. 149 weeks. Yep. But who's counting? Almost three. So, <laughs> anyway, yeah, who's counting? Uh, we're looking forward to that and uh, chatting with some of you there. And you, know, you can check out the Amateur Logic uh, social media sites. That's where you can get the information that we'll be posting where all you can connect. Go to facebook.com slash group slash Amateur Logic TV. We'll, we'll have it posted there. And also, you can uh, uh, yeah, follow us at Amateur Logic on Twitter. You can catch us on groups.io slash G set slash Amateur Logic. And there, if, if you go join the Amateur Logic group on there, we'll send you an email whenever there's something. Um, breaking or important well we break stuff all the time but if there's going to be something special going on like a live stream or when a new episode posts or when there's a net thanks for being here everyone join us again here at the middle of february for the next show and that's going to be uh um, maybe february the 17th i don't know we'll let you know a little closer to time but at the end of the month we're going to have the next Ham College, and it probably won't be the 27th, the last Friday of the month. Probably going to be the first Friday of February because I know Tommy and I are going to be doing uh, a ham fest that weekend. So, did you, did you say February the 17th? I think I did. Uh oh. So, well, this, this, this little girly scream is brought to you by Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> there you go, Glenn. Wow. <laughs> okay. He was he was waiting for that, George. Okay. <laughs> he wanted to hear one for Friday the thirteenth, but February the seventeenth sounds just as scary. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, you know, Emil, there's there's a um, I think there's a um, a rowboat out just on the dock there, waiting for you to oh. dig a ride in it. Yeah. Say hi to Jason Voorhees for me, then. Voorhees. Yeah, Vuries. be careful on the walk, walk home, Mike. I think we're going to change his name to Bob. Bob. <laughs> Sounds calmer. 7 3. 7 3, everybody. 7 on the air on the Tuesday nights. Go to facebook.groups.com. I didn't say that right.